Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back to what is now the seventh episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Olson, and joined uh, with my co-host, Bill Mahaffey. How are we doing today, Bill? Doing great, Kevin. Doing great. How are you doing, sir? You know, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm really can't wait for the weather to start to break I'm, i this is this is that hardest part of the winter for me so <laughs> yeah we're we, you gotta think we're not that many days away from having like another 40 or 50 minutes worth of daylight like it's it's coming right it, it's coming yeah yep. That's uh, can't wait, but and so that's kind of uh, kind of leads us into what the topics we're going to just uh, discuss in uh, today's episode. Um, it's all like I I titled this episode um, "Preparing for the Season." So we're gonna we're gonna touch on strength training and performance, um, race weight and weight loss, and overall things that you should be doing uh, getting ready for the upcoming season. We're also going to be touching on some new stuff, um, like the C4 class and the Clinton. Yeah, I, I, I like it, right? Um, I, I was at a, a business meeting last week, and a, a quote came out, and it was, hey, either prepare to do it right the first time, or you prepare to do it again. Well, that that works in a lot of situations, but for what we do as endurance athletes, we don't get to do again. As we look at our sure. season, we only get one shot at preparing. This is it, right? Um, yeah, so I, I like that topic. Um, before we get too far into it, uh, I just want to give a shout out to all our fans, all our listeners. Um, did have a, a follower reach out to me through social media. Um, asking about a combo you know hey is it possible does anyone out there have a combo to use to display heart rate along with cadence in an easily viewable manner and, and the only thing that i can think of at this point i put a lot of time into it would be like a, a garmin 520 like a bike computer paired with a bluetooth or ant plus uh, cadence sensor uh, and then mount that on a thwart. Um, so if anybody out there uh, is listening and has hooked up or set up something of this nature, please, please feel free to reach out to myself or to Kevin because um, I'm very curious. Or if someone has some connections at Garmin that can get their hands on a 520 for me, um, I would, man, I would love to to make that connection just to see how it works. You know, uh, you know, it's funny, like uh, this is uh, probably a year ago now. Yeah, I think it's a year ago. Um, I was looking into this type of a setup, and uh, Sean Burke over at uh, the Science of Paddling uh, um, sent me a foot pod um, to test on to see if you could mount it to a, um, a paddle. Uh, um, uh, like you a know, shaft a or paddle. blade or something? Yeah, yeah shaft. Yeah, shaft. And, and the thing is, is how the, you have to have one that – um a, a sensor that is kind of geared towards doing paddling because it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work um for what we were looking for so um but they do have like those, those vodka uh sensors are made for paddling so um it, it probably will work with that as long as the computer recognizes that sensor so i know that it's amp plus but they have different profiles for amp plus Right. So if it's if it if it recognizes the profile, it would probably work. But um, so let's move on, Bill. Let's go into the news uh, around our sport recently. Probably the biggest uh, news in uh, Triple Crown events, anyways, in recent time is um, in the introduction this year of the unlimited C four. I would guess we'll call it pro class at the Clinton. Uh, I only say that because there is a money purse um, for this, and it's going to be the first time that they have a money purse for the C4 at the General Clinton, the 70-miler. 
and this is also the first time they're doing the unlimited class because in recent years it's been the stock class so this is pretty big um pretty big news uh i think you're gonna see some um, names that were normally in other classes jump into this class yeah very very much so like uh when that news was first broke uh, my initial thought was, hey, I want to find my way into an unlimited C4, and I'd still kind of entertain that that idea. I've got some extenuating circumstances that may restrict my my Clinton plans, but I think that's a that's kind of a game changer. Um, so you you've got Gene, obviously huge supporter, sponsor yeah. of of our show and of our website, um, GRV Newman designs has a wicked fast unlimited C4, right? Yeah. On the other side of the coin, like I understand and I have, I've yet to confirm this with the Barton camp. Um, but I understand that they have their hands on an unlimited C4. Um, Purely speculating, but I believe maybe it's a rhymer built. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody out in uh, the Barton land can kind of update me on that. I I can update you on that. That is a rumor. Yeah. It's what they, it's what they race at the 90. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, they do have a, I, I believe they do have a stock boat cause they, cause Bruce has been racing the C4 yes. stock class at the Clinton. So, but they do have an, an unlimited boat and that's what won the 90 this, this past year with, um, Rebecca and Mike Davis and Paul and Joe only. So, um, it's also, it's a, it's a very good boat. Um, very good boat. The, only, the biggest difference between the two boats, Bill, is that the Rimmer has sliding second and third seats, whereas in okay. the Newman boat does not. Stationary so, second and third? Yeah. So um, that's that's probably the biggest difference. But, you know, uh, with a good team, I mean, Team Z being equal, I don't think that there's going to be, you know, um, you know, there there's something to be said that, you know, it takes a little bit longer to slide from side to side, but um, they're both good boats. So um, yeah. that means that there's definitely going to be some competition in that class, though. I, I think so. I, I think that's going to be a really fun race to watch. You know, if, if the right players get involved, you know, and, and they put together, say, even a half a dozen or, or four unlimited C4s, maybe not even a half a dozen. They get four unlimited C4s. That class is paying three deep, right? Yeah, uh, it's paying four deep. I is believe. it four deep? Okay, yeah, we'll have to get some confirmation on that. Sure. Um, no, Mike, but, but, but here's the thing, Bill. They haven't fully released what the actual payout will be. So they've, okay. re- they've released the minimum payout. They're trying to, so like, this is something that the Clinton did a couple of years ago. They did with the women's class. Um, they raised specific money for a specific class gotcha. instead of just pro class. So like that year, it was the women's pro um, division that they raised money for. And uh, this year, it's the C4 unlimited class, probably because they're introducing it this year. And uh and there's a lot there's there's some there there are some teams like you know in the on the in the Susquehanna Valley that definitely want to um that have been racing C4 that you know normally would would make some money um in the pro class normally that kind of want to get back in some money so um, nice. I would I would have a guess that that is kind of one of the reasons that would that would push this move but um I think it's uh it's a it's good for you know creating a different aspect to the sport. Um, yeah. C four has definitely uh, been huge. It's 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 grown massively at the ninety, um, and I think it's a, I think it's it's a good thing for it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally with you. So hey, let's on that note. What's Kevin's Clinton plans? You ready to spill it? Yeah. Well, I, I guess so. I mean, I'm my current plans is to do a C in the C1 Pro class, okay. um, but uh, I've also uh, been talking with Gene, and Gene's you know 
asked me what my C4 team's going to be. So <laughs> I, uh, I've, I haven't totally ruled that out, but my, my, my plan right now is to be, is to be C1. I don't see myself changing from that because I really do. I, I, I did it in 2015 in the C1, so I, I really think I want to do it again in the C1. Um, but, you know, eh. I haven't that, put that, an entry in yet. Yeah, that that may get me to the Clinton. I have some extenuating yeah. circumstances this year. Um, it, it caught a lot of flack for the drive back comment, you know, doing the overnight drive. My work situation is a little unique in that uh, my, my crew, I manage a crew of seven. They're working extremely hard. Um, our company rules as far as time off are one, maybe two people off. I gave three of my guys the Friday of that weekend off. Uh, I'm going to catch some flack for it when, you know, corporate America kind of figures it out. But I, I gave them three of that Friday, three of them that Friday off. And I'm basically figuring that I'm going to have to work a hard day out on the road all day Friday and probably not even be able to roll out there until late Friday night and or sometime Saturday. Yeah. You know, which yeah. that, that was a really rough, tight, you know, schedule slash turn time. So I am bummed because I was looking forward to it. I, I loved my Clinton experience in 2019. Um, mm -hmm. I was actually toying with the idea of bringing out my DY special, the Davio special, and yeah, racing yeah. C1 stock. Um, I think Amen. the joy of the Clinton is that you can go there and there are people racing all kinds of different canoes, man. I, I think that's great. I think it's good for canoeing in general, right? Yeah. That's something that a lot of people don't understand that come in just for the 70. Um, the whole weekend is, is there's races on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So... Yeah. It's it's four days of you know like uh, of racing, and uh, there are some some really cool events that are part of the General Clinton that don't get enough uh, um, public you know um, publicizing like the the Scout races, um, the Generation Gap. So that's a, always a real fun one, and, and so that basically the generation gap is you ha it's you have to have so many years between each other, and then right. there's age group brackets and stuff like that. So, um, so there's that, and then on Sunday is the relay. So um, they have these big relay teams that go in the you know the aluminum, the aluminum stock boats. So right. you know uh, the, the 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 big heavy aluminum boats. <laughs> <laughs> we cringe <laughs> that we cringe at but you know it's uh more power to the people that paddle them you know and uh so there's so there's those races too so i understand why people would want to move the 70 to um a sunday but you have to look at the whole perspective of the whole the whole race yeah. um there's there's a lot of paddlers and new york has a lot of paddlers that aren't um, hardcore racers and uh, the general Clinton does a great job in, in getting a lot of paddler participation. To, to, um, to, over the to, yeah. To me, the Clinton in the 70 is a celebration of canoeing and paddling that happens to have a pro race that kicks mm -hmm. off the triple crown on Monday. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, it, there's so much more to it than just the guys duking it out in the pro class. Yeah, we, so, we tend to forget that. Yeah, yeah, and and it's you know each each triple crown race. I've never been to the Class E, but you know the the Clinton and the Marathon they have their own. They're special in their own ways, you know. Right. There's not, you know, so you can't you can't try to you know force one to be like the other. So. Right. Um, and and there's there's ups and downs for both of them you know um for everyone you know so um you know so that's what it is so let's 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 leave that there yeah. let's talk about Moving something on. that where we're gonna move on let's talk about something that has been really awesome and uh, we've been publishing on canoe race world um the uh top couple of uh essays in that youth essay contest mm -hmm. and uh, 
today was the last uh the la um the winner of the contest we actually um uh published that t this afternoon which was uh, zach childs so congratulations zach childs uh on his uh victory on that contest and your uh your daughter was uh a solid second place yeah you, you know what i was um i was really happy with all three of our top three youth essays um and kind of have a personal connection to all of them um Allie Doderloin's dad Scott is actually the very first person that I did an MCRA canoe race with so I've watched Allie develop into the the paddler kind of that she is from afar through her dad um it, and really yeah like that's special right that is very special to me and and then obviously my daughter in second place um same same thing um, so we look at this, uh, and I take a step back, and I go, man, these are two really strong young women who look up to other strong female paddlers in the paddling community. And and that just uh, kind of, you know, hey, I know it's kind of cliche to be a girl dad or, and all that right now, but that, as a girl dad, that makes me feel really good, right? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then Zach wins the youth essay contest. I actually raced with Zach at Mayo um, in my gillies. That was a mistake. And we tipped. But that kid is a warrior, man. Absolute stud. And we we talk about growing the sport kind of in some of these non-traditional areas. Um, had a, a youth function out at the Grayling High School tonight. My daughter had a band concert. And I was staring at the wall beforehand. Some of you on social media probably saw the, the picture of the wall celebrating the paddlers here in Grayling, you know, and the people that have finished the marathon and went to the school here. Zach mm -hmm. doesn't come from Grayling, right? Like, yeah. he, he comes from, you know, Bay, Bay County, you know, brought up, you know, friends with the Hewitt clan, stuff like that. It's important to develop people for professional canoe racing outside of the traditional hotspots. Oh yeah. That's, that's the, that's what, if we want this sport to, you know, grow back to what I, well, the days that I remember, I remember the general Clinton in the nineties, a uh, hundred hundred boats in the amateur class so yeah. and that's the amateur comp cruising what would be called the comp cruising Cruiser so class, like yep. right yeah like now we have around 115 or so boats um with the amateur class and the pro class combined but it used to be 115 you know boats you know when i was eight and did it it, there was over a hundred boats in the amateur class. So, and that's not including, there was like a hundred boats in the C1 class, uh, you know, 50 boats in the pro class, you know? So um, to get it back to, to grow the sport, I think you need to look outside of where the traditional hotspots are. And, and, and Zach's a good, uh, yeah. uh, good, good um, example of, uh, of, of potential growth. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And then you have to look at the paddlers that are in those non-traditional hotspots. You know, in this case, I would say probably the Hewitt clan, you know, has influenced his paddling and kind of got him started on his way. And you really got to tip a hat to those people as well. But all all of our youth essay submissions were spectacular. And it really gave me a lot of, um, I, I don't know, it just made me feel good about the future of the sport. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, make sure to check back next Wednesday because there might be a surprise coming out then. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So, um, in moving on, uh, we have luckily been able to, thanks to all of our um, sponsors of uh, Canoe Race World, been able to um, get ourselves a drone. And uh, so we got a lot of new um, capabilities with um, video footage on the horizon for this year. Um, I'm excited. I took it out for the first flight the, um, this past weekend. And 
it's also going to be featured on my new um I'm doing a new YouTube uh, series. I'm doing a, a road to the 2020 um, Asaba River Canoe Marathon. And uh, so if you guys are interested, most of you guys have either done the Asaba or are racers in general, but um, I'm really kind of designing this for people that, you know, stumble upon Canoe Race World and, uh, and are interested in canoe racing, but want to know what it actually takes to do a big, a big time race. So I'm pretty much documenting my, my journey to the race. So lots, lots and lots of new stuff, uh, over here, uh, you know, on the, on the digital side of things, but you've been out, uh, cross country skiing. I've seen a, a bit, yeah. haven't you, Bill? Yeah, it's good to be on the snow. I, um, you know, a few episodes back, we were talking about single modalities of training, and I love to cross-country ski. Uh, it's been a little tough kind of making time to get out. I've been on my exercise bike quite a bit. That Nordic Trek S22i is nice, but there's nothing quite like snow. Um, have not raced at all this year, toying with it. Um, speaking of which, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I got to get a hold of... Um, either Lynn Whitty or maybe Sean Brabon or somebody, but this weekend is the Meyer State Games, uh, Four Bush Freestyle and Hanson Hills Classic races right here in northern Michigan for the cross-country skiers out there. And I may make an appearance. I don't I don't particularly enjoy ski racing, um, but I may show up. I, I am technically on a team. Um, the fine folks down at uh, cross country ski headquarters in Higgins Lake take great care of me, and I ski down there every Monday night um, with a crew down there, and then I take my kids on Sundays down there. So yeah, a lot of skiing, a lot of time on the snow. Nice, nice. Not my cup of tea, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you know. Here's a the thing: of, a I, lot of paddlers do it. Yeah, know? tons of paddlers do it. Here's the thing with racing, um, and why canoe racing, and I. I didn't want to get on the bandwagon here, soapbox, I guess, but I'm going to hit it just real quick because I can't resist. In canoe racing, you're going to get beat by someone who's probably a little better prepared, uh, has a little better technique, and is stronger. In ski racing, you can flat out get beat because you've got the wrong equipment for the day. Um, and that's why canoe racing is simply better than ski racing. <laughs> Hey, it's all just, I mean, it's all preparation though, you know, yeah. like, you know, to an extent, you know, that's something that, uh, you look at different sports and they all have different preparation and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I would tend to agree that canoe racing is a little better than cross country skiing, but that's, again, that's not my vice. So, so um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I I tip my hat to all those cross-country skiers out there. Uh, give me kudos. So, social media is going to blow up. Bill Mahaffey <laughs> hates cross-country ski racing. I, I can hear it now. I just alienated the FIS and 50,000 skiers. So, hey, let's, let's move on. <laughs> all right. So let's hit into the big topics of uh, today that we want to hit on. So um, the first big topic that I want to uh, talk about is uh, strength training and performance in the boat. So I know this goes back, I, I couldn't even tell you how long ago, but on social media, I, I've um, there was a discussion uh, back a while back uh, where someone was, I think, quoting Serge Corbin and saying that, you know, strength training is not needed. It's really technique is the king. And something resonated when that like uh, kind of statement was was said because I'm a I'm a strong advocate of uh, strength training. I come from a strength training background, so that might be where some of it comes from. But I've also you know I trained every type of athlete and person out there, and uh, it's it comes down. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dive into this, but. Um, when someone says something like, oh, techniques, all that matters. Well, when you're thinking about performance, there are big pieces of the puzzle, and then there are smaller pieces of the puzzle, okay? So if you have um, the big pieces of the puzzle are going to make up most of the puzzle, 
But right. if you don't have all the small pieces, you don't have a complete puzzle. So um, that's where I think a lot of people don't really, they throw, you know, they, they throw out strength training, you know, completely because it's not a big, it's not as big of a piece of a pu- the puzzle as technique is. Yeah, you know? I, yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, you, you talk about that and that's a good way to, to, to really think about it. Um, it, if both parties have the the same puzzle, but one party has the strength piece too, well, who do you think is going to win? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with that being said, Bill, this is kind of why let's drill down a little bit further into it. Sure. So, um, you know, uh, strength training, okay. And this is probably one of the reasons why people will say, well, strength training is not that important is because uh, there's this principle called specificity in in athletic performance, okay? So um, strength training in and of itself is not inherently very specific comparatively to canoe racing than another like cross-country skiing. Cross-country skiing is going to use a lot of the same muscle groups, you know, when you're double pulling and everything like that um, to paddling and you're, it's cardiovascular based. So there's a lot of carryover that can be uh, carried that's direct carryover. So something right. that you can, you can notice if you cross country ski all season and then jump in the boat, you're going to have a better performance right off the bat comparatively right. if you didn't. Okay. Yep. Um, strength training does not have that. Okay. So you're not going to strength train and then jump in the boat and say, I'm a better paddler. Okay, um, but that's not a bad thing. Again, because now we're gonna we're gonna go into why that is. But um, so this is one. I think one of the reasons why people tend to throw, you know, strength training to the to the wind because they don't see that immediate feedback and don't understand the background on what it is actually doing to help their performance. Does that make it, it it does, and I'm very guilty of that. Um, I have my personalized program from you, and I'm supposed to go down to the gym um, <laughs> sky high down in Ross Common and hit the uh, hit the old iron. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, what am I gonna not do? Because I've only got X amount of time to work out, and it's the yeah. strength training, and that's what it is, right? You don't see that direct carryover. Yep. So, um, so let's talk about why you would want to strength train and what it is going to do, and how you're going to um, look at your puzzle. And it's going to help complete the puzzle. Okay, so the first thing I want to say is it's it's largely about prevention. Okay, so um, the biggest thing you hear this across any any sport in general, but really um, when it pertains to endurance sports, you get you know runners get certain types of energy uh, injuries, triathletes get certain type of injuries, and paddlers get certain types of injuries, and all each endurance sport is going to be an what we call an overuse injury generally. Right. Usually they're not tearing you know endurance athletes aren't tearing biceps like strength like strength athletes are. They're, you know, getting tendonitis. They're getting, you know, different ailments that are what we would call overuse injuries. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's inter- it's it's interesting you brought that up because I am recovering right now from one of my own, um, and and it's repetitive stress based. Uh, and it finally gave out on me kind of up in paradise at our last MCRA points race of the year. I've chased top 10 in points in the C1 class for two, three years now and barely missed it, barely missed it, barely missed it. This year, I barely missed it after I turned in an absolute disastrophe of a race in the C1 class when my shoulder gave out on me. Uh, so we talk about injuries. 
mine was a scapular nerve entrapment and i finally saw a shoulder specialist and he says hey what do you do and i walked him through everything and he says you know what i you don't have a tear he says and i've only mm-hmm. seen this like once ever in my life but i'm pretty sure you've got a scapular nerve entrapment this is how we diagnose it yep. this is how we fix it and a month and a half later i finally feel like my shoulder hasn't felt this good in ages yeah so it so like something like that is 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 very preventable with proper strength training um and the reason for it okay is that um when basically what happens with these repetitive use uh injuries is that our body has what we would call agonist and antagonist muscles okay so um, as one muscle is contracting, the other muscle is stretching, okay? And if you continue to strengthen just the agonist, okay, you will create a muscular imbalance that will start to um, push your body into certain uh, um, uh, pathways, uh, um, mechanical pathways that will then cause these issues, Okay, so, um, and if you are only paddling or only doing X endurance um, activity, you only train a, a certain set of 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 muscle uh, of your musculature, and you are neglecting the whole a- antagonist um, musculature that is an antagonist to those movement patterns. Okay, so. Um, with paddling, it's sh- the shoulders is going to be the primary one. Um, you also see uh, hips and uh, lower back too um, can tend to uh, get get some issues going. Uh, yeah. Also, yep. I I had to look it up. I I missed that top ten in the points by three this year, and literally got beat by people that have never beat me before ever. Yeah. Uh, so. So my guess is that, you know, part of uh, your healing process is probably some physical therapy that would help to um, strengthen some of the musculature in your scapula to help pull it back into um, proper alignment. Yeah, you pretty much you pretty much nailed it. Right. Yep. And and so that's where. uh, strength proper strength training is going to help you because what it's going to do is it's going to help strengthen those antagonist muscle groups that will help keep your joints um, and your the the strength balance between the agonist and antagonist um, muscle groups um, balanced. So gotcha. um, it also helps increase motor neural adaptation. So basically your brain to body connection and how your body moves in just normal movement patterns. So how well you can squat, how well you can overhead press, um, how well you can, you know, do a row and retract your scapula. Okay. Um, these are movement patterns that, um, that if you don't do regular strength training, like when you do strength training properly, you're, you know, using uh, proper form and technique, you will help increase your connection between your, your brain and that muscle group. So it'll give you more mechanical movement, not in the sense of like paddle, paddle stroke specific, but everyday movement. Which will then translate when you go to get in the boat that you're doing a more natural movement that's more mechanically efficient for the musculature, not necessarily to move the boat. That's where we that's where we coach technique. But um, but that's one of the big things that people are missing, you know, and it's it's. Oh, I. Yeah, no, you you really um, I, I like what you're saying about prevention and now two injuries in over the course of my paddling career i'm kind of starting to see it like i'm starting to see the light kind of hearing the music you mentioned hips um i I bummed a hip bad in the marathon 2017 when my seat broke 
and it took me a long time to get that back straightened out and what really did it was deadlifting like of all the crazy things in the world to do you would think that you'd want to baby it and the more that i babied it the worse that it was and finally i just said to help with it i'm gonna just start deadlifting at home and um that that actually took care of it right yeah yep so so deadlifting is one of those really important you know uh movement patterns that will help strengthen that posterior chain which um, this kind of brings me into that next um, type of, uh, of uh, thing that we want to talk about with strength training is it's about um, muscular endurance and like um, and and maintaining proper posture through movement so um, when you strength train you're going to be able to build a stronger muscular system that will help maintain posture through um, extended periods of exercise so um, with what you're talking about with like your hips and everything so a lot of times is you get a muscular imbalance again because you're only you're sitting so you're tightening up your hips and you're overstretching um, the muscle groups that need to be strengthened to help keep your hips in alignment while you're paddling so it doesn't create um, pain while you're paddling and um, cause also it could, that can lead to back issues too. So what, what happens sure. is that you're, um, when, you're, when your hamstrings are weak, um, they don't help um support your lumbar um like if, if when people say lift with your legs and you're trying to like lift a box or whatnot it's okay. you have to lift with your hamstrings <laughs> which people don't realize <laughs> right you know you think of someone going and trying to like oh they say lift with your legs and then they try to stay all totally upright and bend down and then you know push and that that's mostly you know they're trying to lift it with their quads not their hamstrings but a good deadlift is hamstrings and glutes right in lower back and that's what proper lifting technique is is a proper deadlift so it's lifting when you're lifting with your legs you're lifting with your hamstrings and your glutes and right. uh there are the things that totally get neglected a lot of times when you don't uh strength train and uh, so, and when you're talking about doing something like the marathon, you're going to be sitting in the boat for long, long periods of time. If you have done strength training in the, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about crazy strength training. I used to, I used to strength train, you know, that was my primary modality of training. Um, I only strength train, you know, twice a week now um, to just cover my basis. But um if you if you don't do that you're more likely going to have lower back and hip issues later in the race because you're not strong in those 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 opposing muscle groups right and, and that's going to kind of transition over into you know some some slippage you know some yep. some loss of power as your core starts yep. to fail you know, the power at the engine isn't going to be the same as the power at the wheels cuz you're just not going to be able to transfer it anymore Yep. And that's one of the biggest things that people don't realize when they're looking at their technique and why, uh, you know, you can have someone that two equally good runners, you know, so cardiovascularly equal, and then they get in the boat and one's way faster than the other. And it's because they can translate all of their cardiovascular power into power at the paddle. Um, because right. they're not losing any of their, they're not dissipating any of their power away. Um, right. And having good posture and good motor um, ability um, is one of those big things that um, where strength training can help help get you to that, get you there. Right. So, um, so that's my kind of my 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 you know rant on strength training so um if you aren't doing strength training i definitely suggest that you start doing uh doing it i have some videos up on my youtube channel if you're interested in it or you can reach me out i i, I don't mind answering some questions but don't think about doing things remember this is for balancing your body out that's the purpose of the strength training so don't focus solely on doing things that are paddling specific muscle groups you need to do the opposing muscle groups probably more 
when you're strength training than, than yep. paddling specific muscle groups. Ab so. Absolutely. I'll have to, uh, you know, maybe this week will be the week. Maybe next week will be the week, but at some point in junction, I'm gonna I'm gonna start right. I got the plan, right. and maybe I'll maybe I'll live blog it like each week. This is what I did, and it'll be diary wow. of a wimpy kid, man. But yeah, that's my weak spot, right? <laughs> right. If yeah. you I, don't know what your weak spot is, and you never address it, you, you're never gonna improve. So yeah, that's right. it. Yep, that's something, you know. Yeah. And uh, that, I would I would suggest uh, build it to to do it sooner rather than later. Because the the further and further we get into this, the more you should be focusing on more stuff that's more specific to racing and less general, like strength training. Right. And uh, and so it's and and you you need to give yourself some time to actually build some strength too. So um, that's why I would suggest doing it sooner rather than later. For the Clinton, for people that are really you know looking to peak for the Clinton, you, you should be kind of in the second to third phase of your strength training uh, program at this point. For the for the marathon, you're still in good ground. So right. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm really looking for uh, to build for a peak for this yep. year is the is the marathon. So yeah. Um, all right. So this kind of kind of can lead into our next topic, which is going to be race weight and weight loss. So um, the reason it can tie into it is because power, the biggest, you know, one of the bigger things, you know, once we break down technique and we, and we make that equal and we make technique a wash. Okay. Um, uh, power to weight ratio is going to be one of those things that um, is going to be a big influencer on performance. And so um, it needs to be talked about is uh, ideal race weight and uh, weight loss. Um, and I, I kind of, I think we both have, we both take two different approaches, me and you, Bill, on this. Okay. Yeah. yeah, gonna, yeah. And I'm good. And I think they're both equally valid. Sure. Um, uh, I'm just going to tell you why I do the way I do, and okay. maybe you can explain why you do the way you do, um, so people can kind of understand it. But, but really, when it comes down to it, is there's going everyone is going to have their own ideal body weight for canoeing. It's going to be that point where there's a shift between uh, losing. I mean, if you if you maintain power and you lose weight like a power output and you lose weight, you increase your power to weight ratio. Right. And thus make yourself faster. Okay. Right. Now, if you lose weight and you lose power, you will probably maintain your power to weight ratio. So you will have lost weight without much uh, effect on your speed. Right. And then if you lose weight and you lose a lot of uh, power in the process, which is the big no-no, why when people are chasing weight for the sake of chasing weight chasing to be weight. lighter, yep, yeah, that's when you really just you just did yourself a, a big a big uh, you know uh, a big no-no yeah, a big dishonesty. Call, call, call it a yeah, call it a call it a disservice, right? There is a point where chasing weight doesn't make sense anymore. You know, you're going to get weaker eventually. If you can lose just fat, it'd be perfect. But at some point, you lose muscle mass, you lose power, yep. and your ratio yep. won't improve. Yep. And that's where, um, you know, there's – there. that's why I say everyone has their own ideal kind of race weight, and it's very um, independent of where it is because it's very largely dependent on your um, lean muscle mass. Um, size. So someone that is, we take two people that are six foot, you know, there could be a guy that his ideal race weight would be 200 and another guy's ideal race weight is 160 because the guy at 200 um, puts out a hell of a lot more power at 200 pounds than the guy at 160. But that guy at 200, if you try to get down to 160, would lose so much power in the process because he has so much more, you know, muscle. Um, it the one sixty is not his ideal race weight, right? Right, and you can you can actually see that 
in the canoe race world um as the season wears on you can tell who's kind of chasing that weight and maybe hurting themselves a little bit you know just as you look around the community so it, it definitely does yep. happen and and so uh with that being said like i'm gonna tell you how i go about it yeah. and you can tell how you go about it so like sure i um i get to my waist race weight early and i try okay. to maintain my weight and why I do this is because of my, um, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons. The first main reason is I, when I increase my physical activity, my appetite goes through the roof. Okay. So in the previous years when I've tried to do um, a more traditional type of, a, of a, um, you know, getting too optimal race weight. Right. Um, I don't end up losing any weight during the season. And so I just stay heavier. So like, um, I actually just reached race weight. So I've dropped 13 pounds over the past since the beginning of the year. Okay. So what, yeah, and, let's, let's back up. What's your race weight? Um, I, I race between 160 and 165. The past. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm short, you know, I'm like five, eight. So, um, and I come from a bodybuilding background, so I'm not like a non-muscular type of a guy. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, and I found that this is my kind of my right zone because I know where my body fat percentage is, and I know from my bodybuilding days when my performance would suffer in the gym at what body fat percentage level that I could sustain at. So I try to get to that type of of range. And that's where my, you know, that's how I dis decipher what my ideal race weight is. Okay. And um, so what I do is I get there early. So then I can focus on fueling my workouts and I don't have to worry so much about losing more and more weight. And sure. it gets harder and harder for me to lose weight as the season progresses because my appetite goes up as the season progresses. Uh, so um, gotcha. I hate to diet from coming from, I, I mean, I did one year I dieted for three quarters of a year. So I didn't eat out at a restaurant for three quarters of a year. I don't want to go back to that. I, yeah, I that, that like sounds to, awful. <laughs> yeah. I like to canoe race because I can drink a beer. So, right. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? So, uh, -huh. uh, you know, but, um, so I, that's why I choose to get to raceway early and because I know how my body, like I, if I don't, don't feel myself enough, my workouts get crappy and then, um, I can just let my, as the season progresses, I can just let my, um, appetite dictate my food intake as opposed to watching my macros and everything like that sure and uh i won't really lose weight during the season and now i'm at right where i need to be so now all i have to do is you know kind of maintain it well it's, it's so. kind of interesting so on the on the counterpoint to that i think the more common approach is to use that accumulated training to help you get there um, and that's what a lot of people, myself included, tend to do, right? I'm stepping on the scale. Now, I, I am ahead of the game from last year because I'd like to race a little lighter this year than I did last year. Um, but I've stepped on the scale eh, yesterday or this morning, something like that. I'm, I'm one of those every day, and I log at, at 165.5. Um, yeah. At 5'10", 5'11", I... I'd like to try to race at about 157, 158 again this year, which is lower than I've raced at in the last three or four years. But I'm not really going crazy because when I go into season, I'm going to shed five pounds in the first probably six weeks where the heavy training. Right. Um, I, I just can't eat enough to keep up with the, the workload at that point. And and that's why I say that both of these approaches are are, are perfectly fine um, when we're looking at it physiologically. Um, the thing is, is you probably don't have the appetite that I have. Like, right. I can I can put down food, and so if uh, there's a lot of people that don't have a, a big appetite, and when they so when they do increase their activity level, they then 
are then create the deficit that they need to lose weight. And if you don't feel fine training and you feel fine, you know, mood wise, and right. you don't want to tear someone's head off because you're hungry all the time, <laughs> um, then this is a, a perfectly viable way to do it. The only thing I would suggest is watch how fast you lose weight, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. And if you haven't, for anybody out there, if you haven't read the book before, uh, Matt Fitzgerald is a really good book out there called Racing Weight, um, where he gets a little more in-depth in the into the concept of race weight and ideal race weights for different endurance athletes. Um, and then also his kind of mantra, so to speak, of, of nutrition um it's important not to diet but to nutrition right. and make sure that you're fueling properly regardless of what you're trying to do right yep and and so that's another thing like i go back to my like <clears throat> my bodybuilding days when i kind of um you know looking at this and i was i'm so like regimented in everything when i eat that's what i would i would i would negate i would like miss telltale signs that i'm under fueling myself okay in in the pursuit of finding race weight so that's right. why that's why that approach doesn't work for me if you are able to um you know because in, in bodybuilding your performance didn't matter it didn't matter right. what you did in the gym it matter what you look like on stage so right you went through these deep these deep deep you know, uh, episodes of horrible performance to come out on the opposite side. But right. um, for us, that's the opposite of what will, will help us, uh, you know, prepare, you know, get better. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, so that's something that it, it does need to come down to solid nutrition. You always need to be fueling your workouts. Um, and like I said, sometimes it, for some people it'll work. Um, for me personally, that's not why I choose. That's why I choose to do my my own way. Hey, yeah. As long as what you're doing works for you and it's sustainable, go with it, man. Go with it. Yep. So, um, so that's our uh, second rant of the day is uh, yeah. race weight. <laughs> and uh, let's move on to the uh, last topic. Um, we don't want we don't want to keep everyone for too long, so uh, we'll try to go through this pretty pretty quickly if we can but um uh preparing for the upcoming season what that means um i think that there's like uh four things that we could talk about we could talk about physically preparing mentally preparing um gear preparation and then nutritional prep so um when uh uh, when we're talking about the physical preparation, we're talking about the strength training, the cardio, the base building, like going out and doing, you know, cross training and everything like yep. that. Different modalities. And, yep. Yep. So basically, um, building, uh, your capability as an athlete to help prepare you for the water, which will help again prevent injuries and also give you a springboard once you get into the into the water. So, um, next thing you want to touch on? Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, mentally preparing, Bill? Or? Yeah, sure. You know, as we look at these four different areas to focus in on, um, people often ask me, you know, hey, what's it take to actually do a big race like the Clinton or the Asable. And obviously there's a technical and a physical aspect, but one of the more, um, more oftenly neglected or not talked about aspects is the mental aspect. Um, your training is going to take a lot of time once that ice melts. So it's good to find that balance now, be it your home life, your work life, things of that nature. It, it's also good to prepare yourself for what's realistic with your own personal circumstances before the season begins. Look, we're, we're not all Andy and Steve trying to win this thing. Um, what's, what's realistic for the circumstances that you personally are in and that I'm a huge believer, uh, in goal setting, right? So we talk about mentally preparing, um, I, I'm a metrics and numbers geek in my professional life and in my athletic life, you know, 
big goals, race results, things like that. Small goals, behaviors, right? Um, things that you do, not so much result-driven, but behaviors that may affect or should affect that big goal. Yep. And that's something that when you're talking about um, being realistic with yourself, uh, that's where your goals really should come in too. So like, yeah, you know, um, like for myself, my name is, you know, my I, name I, is Bill Mahaffey and my goal is to win the Asable river canoe marathon. <laughs> <laughs> not, not realistic. Right, that, <laughs> right. That might be, that might be a, a, a tough goal to hit. And that's what, you know, that's a thing. And that's because, not necessarily because of your ability as an athlete, but also your life, you know, um, you have a beautiful family that you need to, you know, be a father and a husband for. And so it's, you know, the, and you have a full-time job. So you do, you're not going to be able to put in the time to train to actually attain that type of a goal. So, um, if you set more realistic goals, you're going to have more fulfillment in paddling. So um, that's something that, you know, your big goals can be can be race oriented or they can't be, you know, they don't have to be race oriented. But then yeah. your smaller goals, your smaller goals are like they can be like, man, I go out everything. So like I have small goals of I'm going to drink this many bottles of water a day. You know, um, I have. Uh, a goal of not missing a workout during the week you know I, that's a goal i i think that's good right um I'll, I'll give you a goal and i'm hoping to get invited back but i'm in a crazy steps contest which i work from home in an office environment i'm pretty dormant throughout my day like i just don't want to be last in amongst this step contest just once like whatever your goal is it's got to be measurable specific mm -hmm attainable realistic and time bound you know the yep. smart method yep and uh and and now we're you know most of us anyways aren't on the water um and so now is also a good time to prepare your gear so this is something that i think a lot of people might think of as an afterthought but um really shouldn't be so now's a good time to look over your gear um, make sure that there's no major um, issues with it, especially your safety equipment. Because once we once the ice melts, the water's still really cold. So you need to make sure that your PFDs are um, well maintained. Um, you have throw lines, um, and you have uh, dry bags with extra clothing and all of that safety gear. And equipment that's going to help keep you safe because we um you know we are athletes but we definitely need to be conscious of the safety aspects when it comes to paddling yeah very very much so and if you think about some of these longer cold winter paddles that have been done um we're really kind of fortunate that nobody's actually gotten seriously hurt hurt or suffered as a result of of getting wet in the winter i i know here in michigan we had multiple people with uh some, some near oops some people that can tell some stories um and that dry bag and a change of clothes would have made a big difference and doesn't really add that much weight to the boat nope. so nope yeah you know also <laughs> pre pre preparing your gear um, I have one boat in the shop right now getting getting repairs done over at Boardman Boat Works. Um, another one was done in the fall. Like, don't don't be that guy, right? Don't be that guy that the snow finally melts and you're looking at your gear going, oh, I guess I should have probably patched that wing on my C1 that I cracked up right. all last year. So, yeah. Yep. And don't neglect your transportation setup. Llama racks. Here's a chance to kind of pitch you. Like, we spend all this money on our boats. Like, make sure your stuff is good to carry these boats around. Yeah, this is kind of like a little uh, preview uh, to uh, one of the the next episode on my Road to the Asable series. Okay. Um, because I got a new truck, um, so you're going to see some some nice little clips of my new truck and uh, my new rack system, So, um, which uh, the next episode will I'm going to have the llama rack installed onto it. 
um, haven't done that because it actually is going to work even better than it was on my other truck. Uh, okay. So I'm really looking forward to that. And they're they're coming out with a new rack that I'm going to be prototyping in here soon. Um, really, really geared straight for us. Um, nice. Whereas in the other, some of the other ones, like the one is great that he gave me uh, that I have right now that I'm using, but it's a little bit hard to adjust um, on the fly. Okay. So, um, but a lot of us are having C2s and C1s and C2s and C1s and right. two C2s, two, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> so um, this new design is designed so we, you, you can go and have a, a nice cradle for whatever boat you got. So, right. Right on. Um, so that'd be good. Hey, let's move then, on to uh, nu nutritional yep. prep, man. This is a yep. good time to kind of, there's a ton of products out there. It's a good time to really experiment with them. Um, obviously, you have the Hammer Nutrition products. I'm a big fan of the Goo products. But this is the time to experiment. You may find something that you like a little more. Um, I got into a product last year just kind of on accident called Accelerade, and I absolutely loved it. Um, if I wouldn't have kind of played with stuff, in the off season, you'd have never known that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of people don't, I think they, they wait too long to um, explore their nutritional needs. Um, and I'm talking race nutrition type stuff. Right. So yep. yeah, like you're, um, and, and this is the time that you kind of uh, look for if, if, if your current strategy isn't working, you know, if your current strategy is working, well, that's fine. But if you are, uh, if you had an issue at any of the races um, in the past, in the previous season, now is the time to look, not two weeks before the race. Yes, um, absolutely. And that's, and that's because now you can test it on shorter runs and see how it handles in your stomach. And then if you like it, then you are prepared that when you go and start doing long paddles, you have it there to use so then yeah. it's going to have better carryover to um practically um because i see it all you see it every well, people talk about it but you still see it people using stuff that they haven't trained with and oh, i just don't understand it yeah neither do i and the and the other thing that people like seem to not realize is that what works for one person might not work for everybody else. I tell the story right when I was first getting into this sport. Um, I was paddling with with Ed Lipinski, and we were doing a longer run, and we decided we, we, were, we talked about this, like you need to experiment, see what works for you, see what doesn't. And there's a lot of guys that, like old school, they, they'd pop like an insurer or a boost or something like that. Um, so we decided to try it one day. And it's the only time I have ever gotten sick in a canoe, right? Yep. But other people swear by it. it and yep. but for that experimentation, I'd have never known that. Yep. And uh, I, I'm going to give you a little one that I'm going to be trying. So okay. um, I have, uh, uh, you know, a baby boy that is going through his first foods um, <laughs> okay. you know, stage. And the bananas, man, they taste so stinking good. So I am like, ah, oh, I know what I'm going to try. I'm going to try banana and peanut butter sandwiches. Okay. So like baby bananas. So it's, you know, basically like peanut butter and jelly, but instead of having, you know, jelly, you're using a banana jelly. So um i'm i think that that might be a good call for me and i might be even introducing a little bit more in like baby food things <laughs> baby like foods yeah baby foods because you think about it they're easy to digest you know what i mean um yeah. when you're looking for like foods you know uh, something that's different than just regular gels but it's still easy to digest on your system so uh, yeah i'm i'm a, I'm a big fruit like yeah, real fruit guy. I eat a fair amount of fruit. A um, couple funny stories around like real food. My very first marathon, I, I wanted to, to have some real food at McKinley, and I wanted a peanut butter and honey sandwich. And um, 
they forgot my sandwich and my brother-in-law jeff comes tromping through the water kind of looked like a black lab man just like storming out there catches up to the boat and throws this sandwich and it lands in the boat i didn't think anything of it yeah well yeah yeah that too right (laughs) no it's in a ziploc but like we get to the end and i have never touched this sandwich come to find out he had his brand new cell phone and he's one of those tech guys that has to have like the latest Uh, everything had this thing in the pocket of his hoodie when he pulled this stunt lost his cell phone (laughs) like lost Uh, forever i felt so bad uh, so the next year i did the marathon they got me my peanut butter and honey sandwich at mckinley and uh I forget, you know, how it played out, but I was like, dude, I, I hate to be that guy, but I have to eat this sandwich, and I don't feel like eating it, but I have to eat it because last year somebody lost a cell phone trying to get me a sandwich right. I didn't eat. Yeah. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't eat too much. Um, I got to the end of the marathon the one year, and I did cry out for Hammer Bar. Um, mm-hmm. And that sounds good. And my feed team looked at me and went, now, really? Now at foot, you want like a hammer bar or something different? Because mm-hmm. we left it all in the car on the other side of the dam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I never did. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a, a pit crew lesson right there. So <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's leave it at that, Bill. Uh, this is a, a pretty long episode. So I um, yeah. hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, until next time, guys, keep on paddling. Yeah, right on. Keep on paddling. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you all for listening out there. We appreciate your support here at Canoe Race World. Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com. And don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling. Keep paddling.